Have you heard? Metro by T-Mobile now includes Amazon Prime. Yes, enjoy the best of shopping and entertainment, movies, TV shows, music, free shipping, and much more. All included for just $40 per line for three lines. All on the T-Mobile network. Discover the smarter way. Metro by T-Mobile. That's genius. One offer per account. Offer subject to change. $12.99 per month value. Offer valid for new Amazon Prime members. Metro customers may notice reduced speeds versus some T-Mobile customers. Video at 480p. Capable device required. See store for details and terms and conditions. Uh, it you is. know who was shit? PSG was shit when they played in the class, uh, El Classique. They were fucking terrible. I watched that <laughs> yeah, game. That was a great game of soccer right there, man. That was so good. I think I think that's what I think ultimately what what I've always seen is the fault in, in, in PSG is that they play they play very good, but it's not the same level of consistency that you have with other teams. And I think what is missing from PSG compared to someone like Real Madrid or Barcelona is that Barcelona and Real Madrid have a sec a, another gear, you know. Yeah. So when I see Real Madrid play a regular league fixture, it's not the same Real Madrid that I see when they go out and play Champions League on a Tuesday or Wednesday night, right? Whereas PSG kind of is going like what you see is what you get, and I think, um, you know, they just don't. I, I think their defense is still really, really bad. I think their goalkeeper is not great. Um, and I think that you know they live and die by the counter, right? So as soon as and Neymar has been really mercurial this year. Like he's really, I mean, he's, he's incredible, you know, but he, the, the competition he's playing against, you can tell that he's obviously isn't, you know? Yeah. I mean, it talent. speaks to some of the quality in this, the French league. And he also doesn't seem to take it super seriously, which is like a little it weird. Does, you're right. You're, you're a whole, no, it's a, amazing yeah. that he doesn't like, he's not going to turn it on until champions league semis. He doesn't give a shit before that. Exactly. <laughs> Yeah, I mean, I think you're right. I mean, he, you know, he came in wanting to be, it's funny because he came in thinking that he was going to be like, you know, it was going to be a one man show and Cavani to his credit. I mean, he's a veteran and he, you know, waited his time behind uh, Ibrahimovic really sort of like checked, you know, checked Neymar and was like, listen, like you've got to kind of wait your turn here because I'm, you know, he's the all in all out. He's the out and out striker on that team. And, you know, it's, it's, it's funny because it's just so it's so Parisian that PSG has a really good season and just all of a sudden is embroiled in all this drama. Like, Jesus Christ, just win the league, <laughs> make it to the semis and champions league and lose to whoever you play there. You know, that'll right, be... that's going to be this season. I mean, like what I, what I also really like is like Neymar really clearly left Barcelona because obviously the financial shit, but like also because like on some level he was part of a three man triumvirate where he wasn't the best player but just also where he wasn't featured really and like he goes to PSG and then they create another three-man triumvirate where like he's probably the best player but like he's not going to be featured every game like Cavani is going to score hat tricks and Kylian Mbappe is crazy good like it's, like, it's just funny as he lands in this place, like, he's not Hello, uh, 
and welcome. This is your last Let's Football interview segment. Um, if you're on the Managing Madrid podcast, you just heard a little bit of a cold open um, when we're joking about like how PSG is going to collapse in on itself, which is all good. Um, and maybe you heard Evan's dogs barking. Um, they're very having good a catastrophe. Um, but if you're on last week's football, this is just kind of random. So hi, guys. Welcome. Um, uh, this is Gabe Lezra, your host. I'm joined by Evan Matiers, always, uh, and happy and excited to welcome back our good friend Ernesto Alvarado. Ernesto, you are joining the uh, very coveted, very prestigious tier of two-time Let's Fix Football guests. <laughs> That's good to hear. Always a pleasure. It's very prestigious. You know, it's, uh, <laughs> it's the only it's you Gra- right now. <laughs> ground Groundbreaking. Yeah, yeah absolutely. Deep, 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 we have... Guys, we have a shitload to talk about, so we should get into it because we brought Ernesto here to talk about three uh, interlocking and, and related, but also very different and very interesting things that are going on in world sport right now. And I think I'll just quickly give a preview. We're going to talk a little bit about PSG. We're going to talk a little bit about Catalonia. We're going to talk a little bit about La Liga uh, and the corruption that's going on in La Liga. So, but let's start with let's start with PSG because Ernesto, you are. Um, in Paris, as as uh, listeners probably know, you are a FCPA attorney with Hughes Hubbard and Reed working out of Paris, um, and you're PSG fans, well, or at least a PSG follower. So why don't you tell us a little bit about the new or relatively new allegations that have cropped up against the chairman of PSG, Al-Khalifi, uh, from the Swiss, Swiss authorities. Am I right about that? Yep, that's correct. So... Uh, just a bit of background uh, for people that may not. Well, I'm sure PSG right now is pretty world famous, but just a bit of context. PSG is one of the. It's right now one of the richest teams in the world. It's one of the biggest teams in the world. Um, as most listeners are probably uh, well aware of by now, they were the team that signed Neymar to the world record 222 million euro uh, contract. And so PSG, what's interesting about them is that they were sort of they were created in the 1970s through a merger of two teams. They were meddling. They had a few. They, they were they were a middling team. They had a few good years, but they were really sort of up and down. And they never sort. They never became a prominent a prominent French team like Lyon or Marseille, for example. They were a, so, a selling team, really, right? I mean, like what I rem- most that I remember from PSG from back in the day was that they were the team that sold Barcelona Ronaldinho. That's basically all I knew about PSG. That's about right. I mean, they they came into they became more well-known on a global stage because Ronaldinho, they, they were the team that brought Ronaldinho over to Europe and Ronaldinho developed into the player that he be, eventually became uh, starting off at, 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 at PSG. And so what ends up happening is that uh, PSG up until about 2010 remained a mid-table team, wasn't really in, comp- in competition to win the league on, but they had a very, very... Uh, popular fan and that was uh former president uh nicolas sarkozy and so nicolas sarkozy was a huge psg fan <laughs> and he also had very close connections and political ties to the qatar the, the qatari family the qatari royal family and so um what we'll start off with is oh, interesting is i actually a, didn't know that that aspect yeah. of this yeah and so what's interesting about about psg is that in 2000 and basically the purchase of PSG by um, what is now known as the Onyx Qatar Sports Investment Group, which is a sovereign wealth fund owned by the Qatari government, 
this all sort of started in 2010, um, in November 2010, in something called the Sarkozy meeting. And so the Sarkozy, as I'd mentioned, he's a super fan of, of PSG. He went to games regularly. He had an executive suite there. Very good relationship with the Qatari officials. And he was always looking to, to, to develop these economic and even sometimes military transactions and trades and deals in order to enhance the, the French, the, the, to improve the French um, economy during the, this was during the crisis period. And so in these November meetings, he invited over um, the Qatari Emir Tamim bin Hamad Al Thani to discuss various trade deals and other matters of business. Uh, he also invited uh, Mr. Michel Platini, who was then the UEFA president. And so he wanted Mr. Mr. Um, president Sarkozy at the time, he wanted to discuss a few things. Uh, first, he wanted to discuss why Qatar would be an amazing place to host the World Cup, <laughs> a summer World Cup. <laughs> that, was, that was the first order of business. So really good idea. Easy pitch. Really easy pitch. Definitely exactly. required no bribing at all for that to happen. What's hilarious about that is that uh, Michel Platini came in and he's openly admitted to this now that he wanted the United States. He, he wanted to vote with the United States and Platini's vote sort of carried the weight of four votes because the, there were other four year, other European countries that were going to vote along the lines of whatever he voted. Classic the FIFA. Of- <laughs> just like, no, just for what it's worth, this is absolutely how FIFA works, which is why if devoted fans who listen to our entire uh, episode on the FIFA movie would remember there's a scene where the dude talks to like one African guy and then wins all of the votes from Africa. So like that's it's the same idea. Exactly. And so with with Mr. Platini, uh, eventually at the end of this meeting, he decides that Qatar is the place to go. Uh, He has not admitted that it was because of political pressure, but actually our good friend Seb Blatter was the person that has come out and, and, and publicly said that Platini had admitted to him that the reason why he changed his vote to support Qatar was based on the political pressure he felt from Sarkozy and the Qatari Amir family. Uh, and so that was the first order of business, was, was getting Qatar the vote. The second was uh, trade deals, so your standard sort of, uh, you know, purchasing of military or, you know, whatever type of technology that, that, that governments would want to be involved in. Uh, obviously, Qatar is a very, very uh, oil-rich country, so uh, there were deals along those lines. And so the total of those transactions that were sort of outlined in, this, in, this, uh, in these Sarkozy meetings totaled about at least $18.5 billion that went into the French economy through this Qatari, Qatari-French connection, so to speak. Um, and That's then the a last- lot of money. That's a lot. That's at least. That's minimum. So, it's. It, I'm. I'm assuming it's going to be significantly more than that. So, were there um, any other, you know, deals struck? And so the third, yeah. So the the third deal is the one that really was the one that Sarkozy pushed and made it open to the to the participants at this at this at this lunch was that he wanted the Qataris to purchase Paris Saint Germain, and so Paris Saint Germain during this time they had run a deficit for the past 11 years. So they hadn't sort of, they hadn't turned a profit in their net, in their activities in over 11, in over 10 years. And so Sarkozy, you know, being a super fan of PSG, really sort of kind of was, he was really alluding to the fact that he wanted uh, the Qataris to, to purchase, purchase PSG and turn them into a, you know, a Champions League, uh, a Champions League side. And so, 
three weeks after Mr. Blatini votes for Qatar to win the World Cup bid, uh, the Qatari Sports Investment Group, which is the sovereign wealth fund I had previously mer- uh, mentioned, purchases PSG. And in addition to that, the purchase of PSG, the Qatari Tourism Agency signs an agreement, a sponsorship deal for PSG, giving them 200 million euros per year that, to be a sponsor on this shirt. It's just comically, comically corrupt stuff. Like, I, I don't mean like, look, obviously, like on some level, you know, you can kind of understand the president of France uh, negotiating a bilateral trade agreement with 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 a sovereign nation. But like the idea that the president of France would be involved at all in a, you know, a sovereign wealth funds decision to purchase a club in, in, in a football league. And then, you know, you, you have to also like what you, the, the, the last bit about the idea that, 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 that the Qatar foundation would um, come in and, and you give them a sponsorship deal with a huge budget that, you know, it, and, and to be, you know, to be frank, like it was not worth $200 million a year. Right. Like, because no. this is a P- PSG team that, as you said, hadn't ever turned a profit or hadn't turned a profit in the last 11 years. Right. So, right. so, and you know, kind of the interesting thing for me is that, so this, you know, Qatar coming in and doing this and Sarkozy pushing this wasn't in a vacuum, right? This is a couple, you know, what, two, three years after Abu Dhabi had the exact same thing happen with Manchester City and instantly turned them into, you know, a nothing mid-table team that had just come back to the Premier League into, you know, several time Premier League champions. And like we call it, it is corrupt, like in a vague sense, but in a legal sense, none of this was corrupt at the time because there wasn't really financial fair play yet it's financial fair play and the way that that interacts with these ridiculously overpriced sponsorship deals um that really you know makes it illegal at least against the you know the laws of the sport anyway no you're you're absolutely right and, and what's interesting about this is just the sheer involvement of for example you this isn't the first time that you would have the so-called green revolution within a club right where uh, a really wealthy owner comes in and splashes half a billion dollars on players and completely turns the team around. We saw that. I think Manchester City is a great example of that. The other great example is Chelsea. Right. Obviously, you had a period where their best player was Gianfranco Sola, great, great Italian player, but they weren't winning Champions Leagues, right? And so, so then you just have really quickly in Spain for everyone listening. Um, we actually have some fascinating examples of when this exact situation doesn't work. So, for example, Malaga actually was purchased by uh, and someone from the Gulf Coast region, and actually the guy decided that he didn't wasn't interested in having a football club anymore, and that actually led to Malaga needing to sell players like Isco at actually what was arguably a discount when they sold him to Real Madrid for 30 million euros. And, you know, that, that actually has led to a situation where Malaga had to go through a series of rebuilding years, and it doesn't, this kind of stuff doesn't always work. You can also look at, at Valencia, like, so it's not, like, what I mean, basically what I'm saying is it's not a guarantee that your club's going to be great, uh, just mm. because someone with a lot of money comes in and buys it, look at Valencia and Peter Lim. I mean, look at look at um, AC Milan right now. I mean, it's really in, yeah. in dire straits over there. So I just want to I just want to like had an addendum that like this isn't some sort of magic bullet by definition. And in fact, I think uh, when UEFA passed these laws about financial fair play, it had in mind that this doesn't always work because the fact is that if this always worked then you would want people to come in and buy these clubs just like you would in NFL or whatever. Uh, because if basically what you're talking about is the financial health of your league. Well, I mean, I think, you know, I, I think there were kind of two justifications, right? One is that, 
uh, you know, fans feel like it's unfair, right? Fans of old time big clubs feel like it's unfair when a you know Russian oil oligarch or an Arab oil sheik buys a mid table team and turns them into a ridiculous contender by or dropping American a ton of money. Or an American billionaire, right? With or an American pool. billionaire, right? Yeah, absolutely, right. So people feel like it's unfair, but I think that what you're saying is definitely true too, right? There, it creates a financial arms race, and the problem is it doesn't always work. You end up with some debt laden teams that you know are taking on a ton of debt or bad investments in order to try to keep up and it falls apart so for every Paris Saint-Germain or you know Manchester City you know there's a Malaga or someone else an AC Milan who who does much much worse or mid-table teams who are trying to keep up who do much much worse and um and the, you know that's I I just think it's important to keep where financial fair play in my comes in in mind because like financial fair play was literally designed to stop this like it was supposed to stop this and what the allegation is here is that you know PSG is just blatantly ignoring it to you know to get around the rules even right. though the rules were brought in in place in part to respond to them right and and you know the and, and PSG has already been they've already violated the uh, FIFA fair play I believe in 2014 was when they first were fined for violating the FIFA Fair Play, uh, that's right. In 2014, they they had the Champions League squad number reduced from 25 players, which is what every team gets, to 21, and then also uh, were levied a 60 million dollar fine, 40 million of which were is deferred. So um, they, I'm assuming, I'm assuming they had some type of agreement where if they didn't break FIFA Fair Play again, then maybe that wouldn't be imposed. But again, you see, you see right now that. It's it's very difficult to argue that that PSG has not violated the FIFA Fair Play when they went out and signed a player for 222 million and then a, a player on loan for 180 million, right? And so I think the what what's going to happen is that one of two things is that either PSG is going to be have to find a way to turn a profit, which to, in their in, in 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 you know to be fair to PSG. Those jerseys are flying off the shelves. They're selling out games that are that would normally have not been sold out. I've seen, uh, you know, the ticket prices here just boom. Yeah, but that's not going to be a hundred million euros. I mean, no, no, not at all. And I think I think that's sort of where it is. Is that you know, if everything goes exactly how PSG would want it to go, I don't see how they would be able to climb out of the hole that they're in right now without fire selling players, right? And that's sort of the, that's the plan, at least here in Paris. That's the idea. Is is, is that you know, essentially six, seven players that could be first team players on any other team in Europe are being told that, you know, come January, you know, you're more than you're more than welcome to leave. And or the team president, who's also a CEO at BN Sports, could just renegotiate the media rights for an extra 100 million euros and poof, you have a profit well, from nowhere. Evan, that's a good segue into what I actually wanted to bring Ernesto on here to talk about, because obviously this is a really good background. It's, it's, it's interesting, but actually why we brought you on, Ernesto, is to talk about this new development, which is that the Swiss authorities have, uh, I th my understanding is that they have filed charges uh, against the presidency of PSG, who is also or very connected to or also running the same enterprise that, that sponsors PSG. Anyways, regardless, they filed charges in uh, an investigation that my understanding, again, is that it relates to some of the corruption investigation that they've already partially conducted. Yep. So Nasser Al-Khalafi, who was, who was the guy we mentioned earlier, he is currently the president of, of PSG. He's also the CEO of Bain Sports, which um, to touch briefly on the point we were talking about where the Qatari sports investment uh, 
wealth, sovereign wealth fund purchases PSG, coupled with the Qatari tourism agency giving the $200 million sponsorship, Bain, Bain TV, which is an affiliate of Al Jazeera, which is a Qatari, a Qatari news BN network. For, just for what it's worth, I think that at least I previously pronounced it BN on this show. Oh, um, yeah. But it, it oh, may be Bain. I don't know. I, I actually don't have any. any just, go ahead. Sorry. So no, no worries. So BN, uh, basically, they purchased the rights to, to the League One for two, from 2012 to 2016 for 607 million euros. Um, and then that was increased in 2014 to 726 million euros uh, for the rights for all League Uns uh, games through 2020. And so this is all has a connection to Mr. Uh, Kelaifi, who is also the CEO of Bain Sports, and he's the chairman of the Qatar Sports Investment Sovereign Wealth Fund. So he's heavily involved in, in pretty much all, you know, the, the Qatari revolution into, into League Uns. And Ernesto, so, isn't it isn't it correct that a, a disproportionate sum, like a huge amount of that seven hundred and change million euros, would go to PSG under the way that the rights are set up? I believe so. I, I think I think it is it is it would sort of return back to PSG based on the. I, I'm not sure how the pie is cut up in league, um, but I would be surprised if it wasn't the case uh, that PSG would get the lion's share along with I think Marseille and maybe Lyon. But right. I, I'll double check that. So. Um, so, anyways, uh, the CEO, the, the CEO of PSG, Mr. Akleifi, he was recently accused uh, in Switzerland of criminally bribing a former FIFA Secretary General named Jerome uh, Valk. Valk yeah, big fan yeah. here of Jerome Valk. Anyone who knows, um, who's followed the FIFA investigation, knows that I am a personally a huge fan of his. In that, I hate his guts, but he is the guy who very famously, and I said, I'm, I'm sure you know this, but like he's the guy that very famously went to Brazil and told the Brazilian parliament that their law banning alcohol at games had to be uh, revoked before the World Cup could come there because, you know, well, we are uh, FIFA, and like if, if they don't want to sell alcohol, then we must sell alcohol in our games. It does not matter their laws. That's a that's a legitimate and verbatim quote, and I can link you to the video where he said that. Big fan of your own Valken. They ended up changing it, no? I think. Yeah, they did. Crazy. They did. No, no. Of course, they, I mean, like that's the whole point. Like he got their laws changed because, and like we know also that right that Brazilian football was famous for. Uh, having people actually killed in soccer. And that, there's a reason they passed those laws in the first place. Like I'm against those laws because I like to have a drink when I go to the game, but like people were executing referees in the middle of the pitch type of thing. Yeah. So like, maybe don't, you know, there's a reason they had those. <laughs> it's, it's always incredible to me to think that a, that a sports organization like FIFA is able to have the clout strong enough to, 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 to change domestic law. But I guess that's neither here nor there. Um, Globalization, baby. Right, exactly. And so, um, so yeah. So basically, uh, the 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 charges against Mr. Akalefi is that he uh, bribed Mr. Vuk in connection with the award of TV rights for the 2026 and 2030 World Cups. Uh, Being Sports uh, had already purchased uh, from FIFA the rights to broadcast those tournaments to countries in the Middle East and North Africa, but I believe that they wanted to sort of cover uh, Europe and I think the Americas. Um, so that was the bribe that, 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 that he's accused of, of, um, of providing Mr. Vauk. Uh, following the request from the OAG to legal authorities in France, so here we're seeing the cooperation that I was mentioning in the last show that we see these, you know, mul right. these multinational investigations coming 
the OAG, which is the Attorney General's office in, in, in Sweden, they requested as, assistance from France in collecting evidence, and they actually did comply, which is surprising for France. Uh, being sports uh, offices were uh, Don raided in Boulogne Bilancourt in Paris. And um, that's from, from that information, that's where they began really looking into Mr. Al-Khalafi's role in this. And now, as you had mentioned, I believe it's still in the investigation period, but I'm pretty sure that the formal charges will be pressed soon. Uh, I think last week or the week before that, Mr. Al-Khalafi met with the Swiss authorities. And in that meeting with the Swiss authorities, he said that he had nothing to hide and that he considered himself very calm and that he didn't see any issues Not with bad. any type of fraud, bribery, or mismanagement. Um, the Swiss authorities did mention something that was pretty interesting is that they noted that the complexity of the case uh, is one that would take years as opposed to months to to unravel, which is, Yeah, I mean, yeah. Ernesto, you, you, all, you and I, I, I'm sure you've worked on investigations. I've worked on investigations at law firms, and that's, you know, I, I was reading the same thing that it could take years, and that's really not unusual for investigations like this to take many years to wrap up. The, the government agencies tend to work very methodically gathering information, and it's not unusual to bring a witness in for a discussion. So there's different ways of, that governments approach it, but it's not necessarily unusual to bring a witness in early on, see what he knows, and then talk to them again later after you've gathered more evidence. And so it could be possible that they didn't really show their hand at this meeting and that he'll be back in, 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 you know, 20, you know, 16, 20 months to talk again. And, you know, the lawyers will make a presentation, this whole process that they'll go through before they decide, you know, what kind of charges will happen. So it could really be a while before anything comes of it. Yeah. And I just want to mention also, like, not to like be too bringing it to contemporary issues, but obviously like that has a bearing on what we're seeing in the United States politically right now. Like these investigations take forever, but you also saw at the beginning of some of these investigations in the United States politically, you know, it, with the with the kind of stuff into Trump's administration, like that's exactly the, what happened, right? You saw these people interviewing, you know, potential witnesses, suspects, all of that stuff, and then nothing happened for many months, or at least many things happened, but in secret. And then just recently, they they began to move forward. But I also wanted to mention that Ernesto, and correct me if I'm wrong, the fact that uh, the the French authorities raided, conducted a dawn raid of the BN offices, at least in the United States, to get something like that approved by a judge would require them to present evidence to the judge that they believe that the people at be in might destroy documents. Yes. It's either if there's, if there was uh, if there was a possibility of destroying documents or if there's uh, proof that documents connected to the investigation in Switzerland, that the Swiss authorities would not otherwise have access to, um, were on the premises where the, the request is made. And so in Paris, what's interesting is that, or in France, I suppose, generally, uh, what's interesting is that the, these, these raids, these, you know, the, these, these raids and the, these uh, type of um, requests are processed by a judge, but these judges are also normally present at these, at these raids. Oh, interesting. It's, and, you know, usually it's, it's magistrates that go with the authorities that are looking to collect these documents and they'll be there and to, to oversee how these documents are transferred, what documents are 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 allowed to be given access to, uh, to, to to the authorities based on the scope of the search warrant, essentially. And so I think m what my what my guess would be is that the Swiss and the French probably have a mutual legal assistance treaty in place, and through that MLAT, 
Um, there's a level of cooperation that the authorities have agreed on. And so as long as the Swiss can argue before a, before a, a French magistrate that um, this, act, this information is required for this criminal investigation and without the support of the French government, um, these documents would otherwise not be uh, easily accessible or available to those authorities. That is, I think, what would be one of the cruxes to the to the French request. But again, this is sort of based on the mm -hmm. the concept of the mutual legal assistance treaty. Um, the 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 intricacies of the French component of it may be a bit different, but that's normally how it would work when uh, an authority is looking to obtain evidence in another country. And so, so in this, yep, go ahead. No, no, no. I, I was just going to say, like, in terms of like next steps, like what we can expect. Like, obviously, the timeline is pretty stretched out here, but it, it, it feels like this has some at least enough bearing in real fact. And like, it's not like any of us would believe that this didn't like this criminal activity or at least really complicated and possibly fraudulent activity didn't occur. What like what can we expect? in the next, um, I don't know, in the next year or so? In the next year, what you'll have is you'll, the, the Swiss authorities will begin to formalize what charges they can bring forward against Mr. Al-Khalifi, what can they prove based on the documents that they've discovered, what type of new issues could arise. Um, they will probably have uh, maybe one or even up to two or three additional interviews with Mr. Al-Khalifi to discuss the information they're finding and sort of uh, assessing his cooperation throughout that process. Uh, they may go, the, the Swiss authorities may go back to Mr. Valke, Valke, is that Mr. Valke? I just always call them Valke, but I, I don't think, isn't he um, French or Belgian? I don't really know. If it's if he's yeah. French or Belgian, he's probably Valk, right? Valk, right. So we'll go with Valk. So Valk, uh, they'll probably go back to him to discuss what he may know, and he may actually decide that it's a good idea for him to cooperate and maybe provide some information that otherwise wouldn't be available to the Swiss authorities with respect to these deals. And I think you're 100% right that it's not outside the realm of, 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 uh, you know, of reality that this all went down exactly how he's mentioning it going down. Because if you look at what he's banned for, he's banned uh, for 10 years from, from, from the FIFA Ethics Committee for any soccer or football-related activities because – he was attempting to sell TV rights for the 2018 and 2022 tournaments for far below their actual value, right? So this guy has had these issues before, and so it wouldn't be out of the realm of possibility that this, these issues arose again with Mr. Al-Khalifi, who, again, is the CEO of Bain Sports, which in the past five years has essentially taken over the football market. Uh, you know, you can't watch a game without being on Bain for the most part, which is fascinating to me in and of itself. Freaking annoying. The Qataris were so aggressive in locking down these multi-year deals with the most lucrative leagues in, in the world. They did. Um, What's really interesting is that they, what they didn't do was lock down the American broadcast rights of any of the English leagues, which I, I've always wondered about because like, I have to watch and fucking pay for be in to watch any Spanish or French or even Italian games, but no, the English league is always on NBC sports or I mean, NBC sports, 
NBC Sports paid an obscene amount of money. I mean, the it's it's a it's like a two and a half billion dollar contract, something like that. They paid for the English rights. So, I just wonder like, whether there's. I don't like, know if BN could hang with that or not. Well, I also wonder whether there's just like one of the things that BN has done. And again, like we're making allegations that are totally not like just speculative and not at all legal conclusions. But like, I just wonder whether like the American anti-fraud and anti-corruption stuff is actually. A little bit stronger than in some of these other countries and i i mean like there is not it's not like a kind of it's not a kind of random chance that it was the united states that actually ended up kind of going after these these guys uh and, and really you know knocking on the door here and like it, it speaks to me a little bit like that we get to watch it on the epl on espn sport or, or, or nbc sports because like i wish we could watch spain on NBC Sports, I wish that the Liga and and Liga and and uh, 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 the Italian league Serie A were all in the United States as easily as the EPL, because then people would be able to like have a whole different swath of like teams that it's they a, could choose it's to a support. Sh- it's a very different experience, you know, being an EPL fan and a secondary, you know, viewer of other continental leagues. It's a huge different experience in the United States watching EPL versus anything else. I wake up and there's, you know, I turn on NBC Sports and these other sub channels and, you know, I can just watch any of basically a dozen, you know, half dozen games and I can log onto my computer and watch all the other games. It's just the easiest thing in the world. I have to go track down any other game that I want to see on, you know, to see if it's on some be in streaming service or something. So sorry to get like sidetracked there, Ernesto, but if you want, I don't know if you have anything else that you want to add on this, because obviously we don't know what the next, you know, we know kind of generally what the next year could look like, but we don't actually have any more facts, you know, to talk about, right? Like this investigation is ongoing. Yeah. I think the investigation that, 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 that that's ongoing if it concludes to the, the, the strongest charge that you'll see the Swiss try to go and and and, and put on Mr. Akalefi would be uh, private uh, private uh, private bribery, which would be punishable up to three years imprisonment uh, or a higher penalty. I think in addition to the, the criminal charges to the individual Mr. Akalefi, he would probably be suspended from 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 being the CEO of PSG if these for- charges were formalized. Um, I think that kind of goes into maybe three quick points that I think would happen in the future regarding PSG and Mr. Akalefi based on just the sheer amount of connections that they have with, P- with, with, with Qatar and the, the sort of road that we're going down that we're realizing that a lot of the deals that the Qataris have made in the past 10 years have been uh, in very gray areas, right? And so I think the first is, pol- is PSG instability. Uh, with the suspension of of, of Al Khalifi, if if these charges are formalized, the FIFA fair play violations, if they're not able to put those on, if they're not able to to meet the demands or, or the requirements under FIFA fair play, and if these uh, allegations of corruption with respect to the actual payment uh, or the purchase of Neymar come out to to, to 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 fruition, I think that we'll see a heavy, heavy, heavy level of instability at PSG that could rem- that could result in a fire sale of players uh, and you would see PSG dramatically drop in, in level uh, in, 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 in competition level mm-hmm. within the next five years, depending on how this goes. The second is uh, something that's already happened is that president Sarkozy is currently also being investigated in France based on his role in a lot of transactions that he had with, with, um, with, with the Qatari government because there were millions of dollars siphoned off uh, from these deals. Jesus. And so that must, 
Is yeah, that true? So that that's, one, that's what's going on. I actually haven't been following that. I have not heard of that of at all. <laughs> Good God. Jesus. Yeah. So that's there. And then the last, the last big point, and I think this is a really big point. We didn't touch on it too much, and, and this is much more international affairs related than anything else, is that Qatar right now, what they're doing, and there was a fascinating article in The National, which is a UAE um, newspaper that discusses the role that Qatar uses with respect to its money. Right. And so, as we know, Qatar right now is kind of in a bind in the Middle East because it's sort of been isolated by the other Middle Eastern countries politically because they they've been alleged to support uh, terrorist organizations and, and, and extremists. And so a lot of the problems that Qatar has is that some of these things are done through charitable organizations or through individuals themselves. Hmm. And so the way that Qatar, their their foreign diplomacy or their diplomatic sort of uh, uh, silver bullet so far has been soft power, right? Soft power diplomacy through, you know, the purchasing and support of Western projects, of Western ideals, so to speak, of Western uh, development, anything to that effect where they can use their money to sort of curry favor with France, which is what that article was about, um, with Western leaders, so that when that gray area comes up where Qatar has been involved in, there's some benefit of the doubt given to the country, right? And so they see PSG right now as an extension, as a diplomatic extension of that soft power, where if PSG is in the news for all the right reasons, if Neymar being purchased for $222 million, setting a record, is in the news for the right reasons, and this team goes on to win something like Champions League, Qatar sees that as a win in the soft and the soft diplomacy, the soft power diplomacy um, uh, mechanisms that they're looking to implement and making their money work, they see these things as an investment, right? As an investment in the image of Qatar and in the strengthening of diplomatic relationships through something as simple as football, which is mind-boggling. But in reality, that's that's what is going on. Right. That's and why. It's, and it's not it's, just right PSG, but it's also the sponsorship deals that they have with a number of other clubs. Most notably, right there, the shirt sponsors for Barcelona, which is which makes yeah. the entire Neymar saga that much more incestuous with uh, the different Qatari players involved. Yeah, and I and and the more the more we see, it's like the World Cup bid. The more that we begin to see all the links to these gray areas, to these payments that may not be at face value. Um, illegal, but we see a lot of red flags. And as those red flags begin to pile up, it's going to be more difficult for Qatar to continue to use its money to develop this soft power diplomacy. And with that weakening, you'll see a strengthening in this opposition to these type of payments. And I think that's what FIFA Fair Play is very is, is going to play a very crucial role, is that if FIFA Fair Play really lights this up and says, this is unfair, you can't have a country owning a team and basically creating, you know, right now PSG would be the de facto Qatari national team. You can't do that. That sort of uh, message will will uh, will 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 pass on to to the authorities. And so I think what you'll see, and, and this is a much bigger implication than just football, is a weakening of the ability for Qatar to sort of rely on mm -hmm. soft power diplomacy through investments in sports teams and things like that to to push well, their agenda. I, I have That's no doubt that the very serious, the very non-corrupt FIFA and UEFA is definitely going to get right on that. <laughs> I'll, also, I'll also note that you said that like, it's like a, a, a team sort or a country sort of owning a team, but it's not like that at all. Like if a sovereign is wealth that. fund is owning right. PSG, that's no, literally what's happening. 
It's the same thing with Manchester City. Like, it's the same fucking thing. It is an actual sovereign wealth fund that is actually just pumping all of this oil money into these teams. It's fucking ridiculous. It's literally what financial fair play was about. I can't believe that we're even arguing about it. No one is arguing, Evan. (laughs) Not here. Not here, but they are in Europe, I guess. (laughs) Yep. So... I think it'll be an interesting story, and I think it'll it'll really sort of I, I think that it's so the the fate of the of Qatar in respects to its its soft power diplomacy is very connected to PSG, and it'll be interesting to see what happens in the, in the future. Yeah, and so from one uh, type of nationalism or national connection to another, I'm interested to talk to you both about. Um, so what's going on in Catalonia, and and um, obviously this is uh, has a direct impact on my you know, life and my, my family and my team. Um, but also it just has a, it, it, I think, um, and, and I'm interested to get your guys take on this, but I, I think it has an impact on, on kind of global sports even more generally than that. Like, I think it, especially, so like, just, let's just quickly run down, um, you know, where, where everything is with the Catalan situation. So basically what happened is that after, you know, a, a, a lot of different, kind of de-escalatory moves leading up to last week, um, the Catalan parliament um, decided to declare, unilaterally declare independence. Burn that shit down. (laughs) Right. Where all of the anti-independence, the the unionist, or I I think I almost rather call it secessionist, but I think that's the better way to think of it. So the anti-secessionists marched out of parliament before the vote. So they made this vote um, on Friday uh, and the series of things that happened after that were basically that the Spanish parliament in Madrid invoked article 155 of the Spanish constitution, which uh, allowed um, sing- the, the Madrid government to invoke single party rule over and, and, and control over the Catalan uh, state or this Catalan province and dissolve the Catalan parliament um, and, and fire the Catalan president, which is um, Article 155 basically just grants the governing body in Madrid the power to uh, prevent this exact kind of thing, secessionist movement. And, like, this is exactly what you expected, but we all expected the next move to be after the Universal Declaration, the, you know, in the, the Independence Declaration. Everyone kind of knew this was coming. And it when it came, everyone kind of shrugged it off. But, like... You know, what ended up happening is now it's in total limbo in Catalonia. And uh, what that means for, I think, on a sporting level, what that means is there there is actually a clause in uh, the La Liga bylaws that prevent foreign teams from playing in La Liga. But because luckily, I mean, luckily, but because the way that kind of Europe looks at the situation, Europe doesn't recognize Catalonia, right? Uh, as a country, and Spain doesn't recognize Catalonia as a country. We're not looking at a situation where any teams are going to be kicked out of La Liga. Um, that being said, this is a really crucial and pressing situation. And I think that wh- why I wanted to bring it up, Ernesto, is I'm interested in your position on this. But what I've said before was, if this were to happen, my my feeling is that it pushes us closer to what we, we've talked about a little bit, is the... Um, European Super League and the European Super League is an idea that's been floated around before, which is basically taking the top teams from each of the domestic leagues and creating a single European league that would kind of supplement the Champions League and take over from domestic leagues where only the best teams would play each other in a cross inter-European competition. I mean, it's it's ultimately 
those type that that concept that ideal was actually one that was pushed um, about four or five years ago was when it was introduced uh, when the discussions came up that some European teams were just some European leagues were significantly weaker right so for example France. Uh, Ligue 1 is not anywhere close to the level of competition at the Prem or La Liga, and it has an, imp- an adverse impact on some of their top clubs, right? And so, um, as you had mentioned, Barcelona is a very fascinating team. I think it's part of the reason why it's one of the most famous teams, if not the most famous team in the world, is because of its unique identity that it has with um it's it's with its region which is catalonia which you know for hundreds of years has sort of been its own sort of uh nation not national it's its own identity right it has its own identity its own language its own history based on its own its own people and so what's interesting is that barcelona encapsulates not just a very good spanish football team but it also is sort of the identity for catalonia for a large part of catalonia because catalonia has other teams but with Barcelona, what they've done is not as the profile has risen of FC Barcelona because there was a period of time where they weren't that great, right? Yeah. Um, now you know as they've risen to be this global image, inherently what it pulls with it is the identity of Catalonia, right? If you're a Barcelona fan and you see you know Mesquim Club, the first thing that you think is what does that even mean and why <laughs> is it called that way? Oh, that's Catalan? What is Catalan? Ah, it's a reason in Catalonia. Oh, okay. And you automatically, this thing becomes sort of a promotional tool for Catalonia, right? Barcelona, when I went to, I went to Barcelona a few months ago, everywhere you go, every shop, every tourism shop, you have La Sagrada Familia, you have Parguel, little figurines, you have El Cagón, which is this little like doll that they have, right? And then you have Barcelona jerseys, you have Messi jerseys everywhere, you have, I mean, People go to Barcelona specifically to watch football team, which is doesn't happen in very many countries in the world. And right. Barcelona is a beautiful city. And so I think what happens with FC Barcelona is that if let's say in you know let's say Catalonia somehow is able to break off and create its own its own its own uh, its own country, right, and it obtains the very very difficult uh, international recognition, which not many you know, the last country to receive that was South Sudan. It's it's very difficult to receive. Um, at that point, you have essentially the Liga is is dealt a very ma- a massive blow, yeah. And they're they're probably one of their most profitable teams leave. And so what would happen there is I think there would be an incentive for Barcelona to at least look to see what other possibilities there were. And if Real Madrid is in a league without Barcelona to run things like El Clasico, becomes very difficult for them to sort of not justify looking into something like a super league, yeah. right? And That's, all of a sudden, everything else in Europe is pretty much, apart from this, the Brexit movement, everything in Europe for the most part has always been, since the rise of the European Union, was this sort of globalization, the elimination of unnecessary borders, the free movement of people internally within the EU, right? And so if, that, if you take that ideal and you apply it to football, why not have a European sort of league right a european league where you have the yeah four best play teams from every league and you play that and it'll be incredibly lucrative yeah. right? i mean you you're talking billions billions i mean who doesn't want to see you know the champions league every, matchup every week too it's not just the boring champions league matchups too and like and another thing that i would i would mention right is that 
people undersell. So there are two things that people undersell about that situation. First of all, people oversell the chance that Barcelona would just join another national federation. I think there's essentially no chance that Barcelona would after. So, and Evan, we, we should talk briefly about this, but both Evan and I have discussed, we've discussed this previously, not on the show, but like together that neither of us think that it's likely at all that Catalonia is going to get some sort of, you know, independent country without really immense bloodshed. And I just don't see that happening. Not, not really. So the, 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 the future of this situation is very, very much up in the air. And, you know, I, I don't know what, what the future holds, but if, you know, and, and, and so given that, like, I don't think it's a very likely situation that FC Barcelona is going to join another federation. So, and, and by that, what I really mean is this, if the circumstances arise that would require FC Barcelona to look for another federation, the circumstances have also simultaneously arisen that would require Real Madrid to look for another federation because the, the, the rights to watch Real Madrid games will have devalued so much because El Clasico is the most watched event in the world other than the World Cup final. Like, it is more than the Super Bowl. It's more than anything. And the rights to watch La Liga are hugely bound up with their rights to watch El Clasico. So if Barcelona is looking for another league, so is Real Madrid just so that they can play Barcelona. I, and so that's why uh, I, I really don't think there is an eventuality that is Barcelona joining the French League, which... So, for example, I saw, I saw an article... On a Barcelona what a stupid site. idea! So, I know, I know, I know. I know. That Barcelona should join the Yo, French let me League. Ta- hang on, let me dunk on this article. I saw a Barcelona article about Barcelona joining the French league on a Barcelona site. Uh, on actually, it's SB Nation's Barcelona site, and I don't mean to like pick on this one guy because I've heard this before. But like one of the arguments is like Barcelona would face less biased referees, and that's For absolutely fuck fucking nonsense. And anyone who's watched Spain knows that. The referees are just bad, and they're not bad towards one team or another. Like it's just like the idea that Barcelona gets particularly biased refereeing is is absolutely garbage. But also, like it's a catastrophe of an idea for Barcelona, because again, both Barcelona and Real Madrid would lose hugely by not playing each other. No, I mean let's be clear. Like the the, the solution on that end, if Catalonia some you know pulls off this unlikely maneuver and becomes independent, I think much 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 more likely is La Liga finds a way to change its bylaws and include yeah. Barcelona in in La Liga and it becomes a transnational league. Like that is significantly more likely than Barcelona joining a transnational liga. Um, and and but I think you know that would be one of the options on the table. And another option on the table is the European Super League, which I'm on record as being against. I think it's not. I, I just don't think it's a great idea. But a lot comes down to the details of how you organize it. Um, I think that because it's so unlikely that Catalonia actually pulls this off, what is more interesting to me is in the interim, kind of while this thing plays it out, whether or not political pressure comes down on Barcelona from one side or the other to perhaps stop playing in Liga, right? Let's say that things do La get Liga, feistier right. between, or La Liga, like let's say that things do get feistier between uh, Catalonia and Madrid. There's, you know, some amount of violence in the streets, you know, do Barcelona separatists or, or Catalonian separatists say, well, no, Barcelona, you shouldn't be playing in La Liga. Look, they have a clause that says uh, no foreign teams. You're a foreign team. Now you shouldn't play. You should bow out. And, and you try to make a political point that way, um, which would be also an economic point, right? You would be literally trying to 
hit La Liga and Spain um, in the pocketbook because, it's like you said, it's very lucrative. So that's just one situation right. where Barcelona could get dragged into this whole conflagration in a way that it probably— you know, it it it's in a tricky position because Ernesto, you talked about how bound up Barcelona's uh, success and its own identity as a club is with Catalonian nationalism, um, and I think it likes that, right? It likes yeah. the positive that comes from all but of that. It likes the, but it, sorry, go ahead, it likes buddy. the money. Yeah, yeah well, no, you're the right. Money it likes the that money that comes from it, right? Well, it loves the money and it loves that this makes them loved and respected and watched. Um, what it's not going to love is when they're asked to make sacrifices exactly. on behalf of the movement. No, right? when and they're trying to get when they have to get down with the struggle, and the struggle means they make less money or have to right. have to cancel games. That's a crucial point, I think, Evan. I just I actually hadn't really de- like dealt with that on on an intellectual level because really what you're saying is as soon as and really as soon as this weekend it could have happened Barcelona any activist who is a Barcelona fan and a Catalan nationalist and believes that what happened on Friday which is what everyone in Cat- like every all the nationalist secessionists were celebrating was that uh, the creation of what they understand to be a Catalan state anyone who is on that of that political persuasion and a Barcelona fan should be calling on Barcelona to no longer play in the Spanish league because they are a foreign team living in a foreign country, not bound and not playing within the Spanish league. I, I actually think that it's very, you know, it, it, it may not be something that they're thinking about, but it's something that they're, they actually will be presented with because it really is a thing that, that, that they're, they're going to have to think about if like their board and their fandom re- you know, really requires them to take a stance. And Barcelona are not, I mean, Barcelona, Real Madrid, for example, is not like they're associated with Spain and a lot of people in Spain want to claim them. But more than anything, and I, I, I know this from conversations with people at Real Madrid and people like you know, who, who, who know a lot of people with Real Madrid. Real Madrid do not see themselves as a uniquely Spanish club. They see them as a, themselves as a very much a global brand. And I, I cannot imagine that Barcelona doesn't see themselves that way. And so on some level, Barcelona would have to decide whether they want to be this kind of global brand, brand superpower, or whether they want to have this particular political nationalist stance well, it, that would require kind of global, them to harm gl- their brand. Well, it's kind of globalization meets nationalism, right? They've they've profited a lot off the nationalism when it was kind of a subnational group, um, but you know, you're this is going to bring to a head like which is more important to you, Barcelona? Is it being a globalized international capitalist marketing system, um, or is it being the Catalonian nationalist team? Because you're not going to be able to be both under these kinds of political pressures. Yeah. And it's interesting though, Evan, because obviously the Catalan nationalist drive is not just being driven by like some sort of communist force on the left. It's actually being just kind of across the ideological spectrum of belief in Catalan nationalism. But I think what's interesting and just to tie it back to Ernesto, uh, what we were talking about earlier is that Barcelona may have, in the early 2000s or in the late 90s and previously been very much willing to make this sacrifice when they've made the series of deals that led to them putting a sponsor on their jersey and tying themselves into this Qatari you know, wealth uh, organism, I wonder whether they've surrendered some of that moral you know, credibility to, to do this or whether they've kind of tied themselves into this global movement in a way that would prevent them from, you know, backing out of it. That's an interesting point. I think ultimately with, with Barcelona, what caught up to them was just 
the nature of the nature of, uh, of the sport, right? Is that, is that ultimately that was a lot of, of real estate missing from that from that shirt that they could somehow be able to monetize and enable them to pick up the best players in the world to continue to do so. Um, what's interesting is that 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 moment was a big deal, right? Because Barcelona was one of the last teams last made the, it, w- it was the last major team. Um, in the world that didn't have a sponsor across the front of their jerseys for a long time. And people in Barcelona and Catalonia took a lot of pride in, in that. And so as when, they should have, I think it was, I, I mean, look, I junked, I joked about it and dunked on it a little bit because of course they did have it on the back of their shirt, but whatever. <laughs> like, I, I do think that they, they should have have, and, and like when they finally did get a sponsorship, it was UNICEF. Right. And like, right. Sorry, go ahead. No, no, you're right. That that the UNICEF thing was was sort of the you know the negotiation point where everyone's like, oh, that's amazing. That you know the part of the proceeds that they get, they're going to give to UNICEF to charity. That's that's fantastic. And then they you know switch a route, and all of a sudden it was you know a, a Middle Eastern airline, and now it's- yeah, it was great. Actually, it was so classic. They they went from UNICEF to the Qatar Foundation, and then that was yeah. two years, and then it was Qatar Airways. No, you could right. just see how that was storyboarded on, you know, yeah. talking points for a few conference calls uh, to, to, you know, decide whether or not this was, you know, the, the, the brand would survive this change. I, I think it's interesting. What, what, I will, what, what I will think is interesting is the impact that this will have, because I think that we're all in agreement that the route in which Catalonia separates itself from Spain to the point where Barcelona is formally notified that they will no longer be part of La Liga unless there's an amendment made to La Liga is very unlikely. What I am interested in, in seeing is that Catalunya produces a lot of very good football players in Spain. And it will remain to be seen whether those players will continue to want to sort of honor their right. commitment to play for the Spanish national team, which is a huge deal, right? I mean, if, and I think, you know, obviously the players right now, you, the one that's, that, that comes to mind first and foremost is, is Pique, right? Pique's very, sort of very, very proud of being from, from Catalonia. He wears his heart on his sleeve with, with his opinions of the Spanish government. And I think that the way that the Spanish have dealt and will continue to deal with Catalonia may have a potential adverse effect in the long run with respect to players deciding to wanting, wanting to play with, with Spain, right? And I think that would have a really serious impact on, on the Spanish Football Federation as a whole, um, especially because Spain has, has sort of, you know, they had a golden age that was unparalleled, right? The World Cup, the European champion, the, the European, uh, the Euro Cup, and, and then the, you know, they, they just had a very, very strong run, um, with respect to, with respect to the other competitions that they played in for, for that, for that period of time. I believe it was around 2010. Uh, yeah. And, I, I really am interested to see what type of impact this would have on the local players in Catalonia. They come out of the canteras of, of Barcelona and of the other the other teams because because there 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 are other you know very right. Espanol is is actually but, one of the famous Catalan teams and obviously Girona who played this weekend. Um, but he, he, all right, so we we don't have a ton more time, and I don't want to keep you too late because obviously we're recording this late and it's like quite late in okay. Paris, but. I, I, um, I would also note that so really quickly before we transition to our, our last topic, and I don't think we have that much to say about the last one, but uh, really quickly, I would note that PK did say that he believes that you can be a Catal- Catalonian 
and also play for the Spanish national team. And that's why he's not giving up his, you know, place on the side. And that's, I think, going to be instructive for the way, because like, it's hard to be a Catalan player and choose yourself to, and at that point say no. Also, I got to tell you, like, they're not actually that many players on the current Spanish national team that are Catalan, all Catalan, right? So, like, I can't, other than Piquet, it's not an obvious, there's not an obvious one. I guess Jordi Alba on the, uh, on the right. But, like, that's, there's not that many. Busquets, obviously. Yeah, that's a good point. Busquets, um, but, like. No, you're completely right that it's not, you know, they're not seven. This isn't the Catalan generation that the 2010 team sort of was. Um but that that still would really cripple this team if, if that happened. Um, all right, let's. Um, and I, I totally agree. That's that's an interesting sub you know narrative to follow going into the next national conflicts. All right, last last um, last topic, and uh, because I don't want to keep you too late. Uh, so the uh, <laughs> a couple of weeks ago, even months ago, maybe now, um, we and we didn't get into it really last time you were on the show, and then you know whatever, but. The Spanish FA has had its own corruption saga involving no <laughs> involving the arrest of the president of the federation Villar and um, uh, a couple other people. And I'm interested to hear if you, Ernesto, know. Uh, I, I would. I think it'd be great and really instructive to educate you know or, or explain to our listeners exactly what happened in Spain. Sure. And, and with the Spanish FA, what's interesting is I think we did touch on this uh, the last time I was on here, is that in my, in my grand, grand scheme, in my grand anti-corruption battle against FIFA, <laughs> the, the football federations are where you'll start seeing the dominoes falling because this is a perfect example yeah. of national government going after its own national citizen that it put in charge of a football federation that was partially sponsored by the government, right? And so... Here we have Villar, who has been he for some background. Uh, Villar it was the Spanish FA, pre, the Spanish uh, Football Federation president from 1998 until 2017, until maybe a few months ago. So that is a long tenure. I, I believe it's the longest tenure in in Spanish football history. I just want to note uh, also that anyone that has that long a tenure in this job, it, yeah, you're going to have some issues. <laughs> Sorry, go ahead. Not 100 percent right. Uh, to add to that point, actually, that's a great point that you mentioned. He was also a senior VP at FIFA, and he was, I believe, sanctioned for yeah. his refusal to cooperate with the investigation. Yeah, he didn't uh, turn over any of the documents uh, that were requested, and he was sanctioned for that. Yep. Very typical. Um, apart from that, he was a former football player for Atletico Bilbao, and he played for the Spanish national team. So uh, the Spanish uh, Guardia Civil uh, arrested him, uh, Mr. Villar, his son Gorka Villar. And three other football officials uh, when they conducted a Don raid at the Federation headquarters in Madrid. Uh, so his son, uh, Gorka, was arrested on embezzlement and fraud charges. Uh, the, other, the other charges that they have are in, improper financial management of Spanish FA assets, <laughs> falsifying documents, private corruption, and misappropriation of assets. In connection, this is crazy, to Spain national friendlies. And so... Yes. And so what's interesting is that um, the, the, the crux of the investigation of the corruption investigation against Villar is that he used well, two things that he did. First, he uh, he was up for reelection relatively soon. Right. 
And so he, the 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 FA, the Spanish, uh, the Spanish Football Association president is voted on by the fourteen regional presidents, the, re, the, the of each region in Spain. Yeah. And so each one has a vote. And so he used um, Spain FA money to secure votes from regional Spanish presidents in order to obtain that, in order to obtain his reelection, right? And so um, with with basically with with that. What he's doing is that he is essentially trying to bribe these officials around Spain in order to all consolidate behind him, and not just behind him, but behind his his sort of cabinet, right? Right. And, and gain support throughout the. And what's really fascinating about this case is that this investigation started about. Uh, oh, and then sorry, the second component that he made was that his son Gorka, uh, who's a lawyer. He had a company called Sports and Advisors. It was a consultancy agency. And what he would do, or what he's alleged to do, to have done, is that he would set up Spanish friendlies with other Federation presidents, uh, you know, Spain against whoever, South Korea, I think was one that was mentioned in the investigation. Yeah, I think so. And with these friendlies, they would, these things would set up business transactions with his son, with officials from whatever country was playing Spain. So they were done sort of with an ulterior motive of being able to sort of garner garner favors for his son and his company, Sports and Advisors. So those are the two main things that this guy was, was had done. Uh, what's what's interesting about this case, which is called the Caso, Caso Sule, I think is what they're calling yeah. it in the media, is that this guy and his associates, the one associate is, is Juan Padron, which was the economic vice president of this of the Spanish Football Association. These guys had their phones tapped and they knew they had their phones tapped, but they thought that they were tapped for some other random reason by some small lower level court. So they would actually mock the authorities on the phone. Not <laughs> sorry. I'm sorry. I didn't know. I didn't even know that part of this. <laughs> just, a, just a bit of like general legal advice. That's not actually legal advice for everywhere. Everyone, if you are wiretapped, say nothing but nice things about the court. Yeah. yeah, let's yeah let's not be mean on on wiretapped phones. And so, uh, what's so the the real sort of tidbits of information that we've gotten that were included in the indictment of the Guarda Civil is um, these literally just quotes where they talk about how they need to they how people need to vote and how they need to get people to vote. Yeah. Okay. Uh, so I wanted to get into this because it wasn't just them that talked about that, and actually Marca. Uh, published an expose recently of not just like Padron and different people talking, but also implicated in this was, was Tebas and the current president. And what was fascinating to me is some of the questions, some of the things that were being said were really, 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 really incriminatory. And they haven't popped up yet in, in any conversations that I've seen about this, including stuff like, uh, well, how do you want the referees to vote or how do you want, you know, the referees to act and, and how do you want the ref, what do you want the referees to do? And they're saying stuff like, well, they're going to vote with us. I promise, you know, I got them all their jobs. They're not going to, they're not going to abandon us, that kind of stuff. And it's, it's, it's really fascinating, like to hear this kind of discussion so openly. And the idea that these people would have any knowledge that they were being taped and still said that speaks to like the absolute volume, like the, the, I just it's, it's it's shocking the the feeling that these people must have had right of being totally invulnerable. It's insane. And 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 for example, Juan Peron, one of the things that he got caught saying 
is that he what he was saying is and this translated he talks about uh the presidents which are the territorial presidents yeah the presidents they'll say what i they'll, they'll do what i tell them to do because right. i'm the person that puts them in their positions and i'm the one that takes them out after 32 years i'm the one in charge right 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 then right, right exactly there's like another quote where Viad goes, uh, they better know who to support for this candidacy. Anyone that goes against me and I win the election is gone. Right. Resigners. Right. right? And, like, and my understanding was the referee like vote in the, because the referees, I understand, also vote in this. We're also implicated in that. Oh, yeah. they uh, And so what, what's interesting is the region. So, for example, the president of the, the, the Murcia Football Federation the president of the Balear Football Federation, they, you know, the president of the Balear Football Federation actually says, we decide who wins and who doesn't. The coaches and the referees vote for whoever I say they need to vote for or I'll have them removed, right? I mean, it's it's not sort of, we don't have to make the inference here right. that there was sort of, of, of pressure, <laughs> undue pressure, and that pressure being supported by the fact that these, you know, these territorial uh, presidents, these territorial football pe- presidents, we're receiving some sort of benefit right. from um, <laughs> Villar, who, who was the, the, the old guard of, of the Spanish Football Federation. I mean, like you mentioned, this guy was in office for you know, uh, almost 30 years. It's, it's, you, know, you, you gain a level of understanding with these guys that enables you to talk this way and to essentially, you know, and, and, and so the other interesting part about Marca, uh, you had mentioned the news article there, is that Villar, on top of supporting these football federation presidents, he also would ensure that the employees that worked for him or that favored him or that were able to provide him with uh, support in any type of any type of manner would receive higher salaries. So he controlled right. how much people were being paid and you would find really disproportionate uh, salaries. So for example, the director of the museum of the Spain football federation was receiving 80,000 euros, which is, 640 euros less than what the current president Mariano Rajoy makes as, <laughs> right and so it's insane and so you know pretty much the indictment that that the that the Guarda Civil is 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 is, is putting forward is that Villar promoted and awarded high salaries to certain senior positions he quote-unquote made people rich that was from his quotes right. and that essentially he created this level the system of cronyism and this cronyism t- took place in a public a, a publicly owned, a public utility entity that receives state aid and whose officials are obliged to watch over and are responsible for the correct direction and the transparency of the football federation, right? And so it's both just of those fucking absurd. I mean, like, Evan, like, have you, I mean, like, <laughs> we, we discussed this stuff, but like the way that Ernesto just laid that out, like, all of this history of corruption occurring, not just like, currently but like these people like totally not giving a shit that they were being interviewed that they were being wiretapped like none of this and on top of it they are a publicly supervised utility by the government they knew that the people were going to be looking at that i mean like it's fucking nonsense no but i mean corruption like that only happens when people know about it, but are just kind of cool with it. Right. Right. Um, like that, that's, that's what you learn from all this. You learn that 
um, it was more than just an open secret. It wasn't even secret. It was just the way that things were done in football. And it's been the way things are done in football for decades. And, you know, that's kind of what's so ridiculous. You know, we go back to the stupid review of the stupid FIFA movie. But like that was what was so ridiculous about the movie is it treated it as a matter of course that, oh, well, we just do things corruptly. That's how we do it. Right. And the fact that these guys thought they were going to get away with everything, they could just talk about the way they were and that no one was ever going to care. Like it's just the same attitude that it doesn't matter. I'm not going to get prosecuted. This is how business is done. And I'm entitled to make some amount of money off of my position. Um, and like that's been unacceptable in pretty much every other kind of part of you know society for a long time. And it's about time that it becomes unacceptable in football too. I, I have no idea. I would be fascinated for like a sociologist or someone to do a study to tell me why football is different. <laughs> like what is so special about the football industry to have made it so susceptible to open corruption um, as opposed to other industries, or maybe right. it does happen in other industries and I'm just really naive, but it does. It seems like it's more blatant here. I don't know. It does seem yeah, way more blatant, right? Like of anything. And like, I would also say, Evan, it wasn't a stupid review of the FIFA movie. We were, you know, we did a very good and normal review of the FIFA movie while we're all drunk and, and laid into <laughs> it as the way it should have been laid into because it was terrible. But yeah, so I it was extremely blatant and it was so blatant just to be clear, just not to plug that review that that episode again, but like we part of the big talking points from watching that movie was how they couldn't even like sanitize the corruption in that movie. Like they literally the Tim Roth playing Blotter character, they literally said like this is the guy that's going to find us the money. Right? Like it's they yep, couldn't yep, even yep. sanitize these people. Yeah, no, they just had to pretend like it was, there was an upside to the corruption. Like, oh, this is how we grow the sport is through corruption. Um, and we have to get the small countries on board through corruption. Like, they just make it seem like a positive. And when you take that perspective, because FIFA fucking made that movie, like, they decided <laughs> that that's the narrative. Um, like, it makes perfect sense why the federations follow FIFA's lead and do the exact same thing. Right. Right. What's interesting about the, the federations, and this goes back to the original point, is that unlike FIFA, where they can sort of hide behind this idea that they are a uh, multinational corporation that cannot be touched by any sort of single jurisdiction. What we have here is an instrumentality, right? You have a, a organization that was created uh, in order to carry out a public service, which is this is carrying out of, of the responsibilities and the roles of conducting uh, football matters under the, the Spanish Football Federation. And, you know, one of the one of the most striking uh, one of the most striking phrases that the Guarda Civil and their indictment continued to use when they discussed this was that what Villar essentially did was he created a law of silence that worked for 29 years where everyone just told his line, did what they were told. And I'm sure that everyone ate very well in particular because Spain was had a very successful run during that period. And it's, you know, that that's, that's, that's the issue that you have not just in football, but in corruption in general, where you have people in power that are just institutionalized in those positions where they can essentially pay off people and keep them happy and keep them in the dark and create this law of silence. And if you speak out, then you're gone. And that's it was blatant in here. And and it goes just again to, to give you another example of how comical this was. Um, the football players on the Spanish national team for every big event, every big win, qualification to a World Cup, the winning of the World Cup. They would receive uh, watches, like very expensive watches. And so initially, these would be given to the players, presented to the players by IWC. IWC would give them the watches directly, and you know that would be the end of it. 
Villad assumed control of the handing out of these watches, which were uh, about 28,000 euros each, and changed it so that he and his directors, the people that he curried most favor with, would receive these watches. And there was an instance twice, actually. <laughs> oh my God. This is good. Twice, uh, there was 36 watches from IWC given because there's 36 uh, squad players for a World Cup team, right, including the reserves. And Villar took took eight, right, which meant that eight of those players were left without watches. Including, <laughs> it's comically including, bad. This comically corrupt. They literally stole from the players. It's not even stealing from, like, the companies that broadcast. Like, they literally stole from the players. Yeah, including David De Gea, which is a, a big-time player, right? It wasn't just <laughs> – and it's oh, the God. same. It honestly is insane. And so what's what's what what the potential, I guess, implications of this is is that they've been charged with five different five different crimes, right? Um, one of the big ones is um, is 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 the corruption charge. And in addition to setting up these Spanish friendlies in a way that uh, Villad's son would be able to curry favor and to enter into these uh, transactions with other companies or other you know entities in different in different countries where where these friendlies were being held. He also um, allegedly used Spanish FA funding to influence uh, other football federations in order to ensure that his son was named direct general director of 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 Coimbra, uh, South America, and Gorka Villar, which the, which was the son, did actually win that position and held it uh, in 2014 and 2016, right? And so. You're seeing that this corruption, this this type of mismanagement, this type of of of, of embezzlement of, of part of it is state funds was used to maintain Villar's people in power, including his son. Right. So you have nepotism, you have uh, this this ridiculous level of cronyism and this massive massive level of corruption, and this is just in one football federation, yeah. which which is one of the most in my in my opinion and I'm, I don't know if you guys agree but in my opinion it's one of the most serious football federations right it's one that I would assume would would have a, a very high level of professionalism uh just given the fact that it has one of the it's in charge of one of the most prestigious uh football leagues in the world and one of the most uh, decorated national teams in the world and yet we and yet here we are right. discussing how this guy essentially ran uh, a 29 year corruption system that is just recently being uncovered. Um, it's 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 depressing in one way, but it also does give us sort of some some hope that you see these national organizations, these national authorities, now deciding to take on these national federations and, and remove these people and hopefully uh, indict them and, and make sure that that, that justice is yeah. served. But you know, it's a positive step there. Yeah, yeah, uh, yeah, totally. And that that itself is. I think that is if if we're going to get a hopeful note to leave this interview on Ernesto, I think that might be the one considering that like this whole thing we've been talking about has either been like desperate, like corruption or like bloodshed in the Catalonia context. So like with that in mind, like I, I do see going forward a you know, a, a hopefully a change in this culture, even if like not the, the U.S. intervention didn't like get everyone we wanted it to or didn't quite go as deep. But we, we do see it 
at least the beginning of the change in the culture of dealing with some of this stuff. So, anyways, I, I, I do want to say thank you so much for coming on, and, and we'll obviously are going to have you back on at some point in the future because it's not like these issues, or just generally like some of these European political questions are going to go away. So thank you so much, Ernesto, for coming on. Oh, it was my pleasure. Thank you, Gabe, and, and, and thanks Evan, for having me on. It's always a ton of fun to talk about these Perfection is perfected, so I'm gonna let them understand from a young G's perspective. And before me, dig out a bitch, I have to find a contraceptive. You never know, she could be earning her man and learning her man. And at the same time, burning her man. Now you know I ain't with that shit, Lieutenant. Ain't no pussy good enough to get burned while I'm offended. And that's realer than real deal, holy feel. And now you hookers and hoes know how I feel. Well, if it's good enough to get broke off a proper chunk, I take a small piece of some of that funky stuff. It's like this and like that and like this, Anna. It's like that and like this and like that, Anna. It's like this and like that and like this, Anna. Drake creep to the mic like a fan. Well, I'm peeping and I'm creeping and I'm creeping. But I damn near got killed because my beeper kept beeping. Now it's time for me to make my impression felt. So sit back, relax, and strap on your seatbelt. You're never been on a ride like this before. With a producer who can rap and control the maestro. At the same time with the dope rhyme that I kick. You know and I know I flow some old funky shit. To add to my collection, this selection symbolizes dope. Take a tote but don't choke. If you do, you have no clue of what me and my homie Snoop Dogg came to do. It's like this and like that and like this and uh. It's like that and like this and like that and uh. It's like this and who gives a fuck about those? So just chill to the next episode. Falling back on that ass, what a hell of a gangster lean. Getting funky on the mic like an old batch of collard greens. It's the capital S O S of fresh and double O P D O double G Y D O double G. You see, showing much flex when it's time to wreck a mic. Pimping hoes and clacking a grip like my name was Dolomite. Yeah, and it don't quit. I think they in the mood for some other. Introducing the amazing iPhone XS you'll love on T-Mobile, the most loved in wireless. It's the perfect way to stay connected to those you heart most. Fall in love with iPhone XS on T-Mobile. And right now, trade in an eligible iPhone and you'll save $300. Visit a store or call 1-800-T-MOBILE. If you cancel service, remaining balance is due. Qualifying service and finance agreements required. $279.99 down plus $30 per month times 24. Full price $999.99. 0% APR for well-qualified buyers plus tax on full price. Allow eight weeks for rebate. Have you heard? Metro by T-Mobile now includes Amazon Prime. Yes, enjoy the best of shopping and entertainment, movies, TV shows, music, free shipping, and much more. All included for just $40 per line for three lines. All on the T-Mobile network. Discover the smarter way. Metro by T-Mobile. That's genius. One offer per account. Offer subject to change. $12.99 per month value. Offer valid for new Amazon Prime members. Metro customers may notice reduced speeds versus some T-Mobile customers. Video at 480p. Capable device required. See store for details and terms and conditions.